Okay, I have got the pipe wrenches out and I am capping off the supply line to the old gas range. This is our first uh, first disconnection from fossil fuels in this process. I've uh, shut off the line upstream and now disconnected it at the spot where it goes into or went in to serve the old gas range. Um, which will also make it easier to insulate the foundation, which I am just about to do on this section of the house. Hello and welcome back to Breaking the Carbon Bond, the how-to podcast for getting fossil fuels out of your life and becoming part of the clean energy transition. We look at practical solutions to the climate crisis and show you how to put them into action right now. This is season one, The House of the Future, episode four, Electrification Begins. We just listened to one of those solutions in the clip we started with. At least I think we did. Pop, what's going on there? You sounded happy about it. That's our first real victory in this process, me capping off the gas line to the old kitchen range. Right. When we talked about kitchen stoves in an earlier episode, you said replacing gas with electric was one of the best ways to improve indoor air quality. Is that why you started there? Mostly I started there because it was easy and because the old gas range was dying. And also because the gas line entered the house through the foundation. So getting rid of it simplified the foundation insulation project that we talked about in the last episode. So switching out a gas stove is easy? Well, it was in our house, but it won't be for everyone. There are several factors that determine how hard these changeovers are going to be. Like whether you have to pry the old gas range from someone's cold, dead fingers? Yeah, if you have to fight a culture war, it's going to be especially difficult. But I was actually thinking of the technical challenges of getting power to the stove. So you're not going to engage in the culture war? Over kitchen appliances? No thanks. But they're trying to stop exactly the kind of work we're promoting here. Yeah, but sometimes it's better just to let the air leak out of an overheated argument than to try and win it. Since the new gas ranges really are better and safer, people will come around. Okay, we'll stick to the work then. Why is it sometimes hard to get power to the stove? This is going to be a big question in any changeover we make, whether it's replacing a kitchen stove, a gas dryer, a furnace, etc. So I'm going to go back a bit and go over some basics. If you're already familiar enough with household electricity that terms like 200 amp service, breaker box, and dedicated circuit are part of your working vocabulary, you might wanna skip ahead. But if you're not completely sure why an electric dryer has a different plug than a toaster, this will be important information when you try to decipher what an electrician tells you about electrifying your house. In the future, we're all going to know a lot more about household electricity than we do now. So we're going to do home electrification 101? Just the condensed version. The first thing to understand is that these fossil fuel powered machines we're replacing use a lot of energy. So when our homes were built, supply lines had to be run to them. That's the pipes that carry gas or fuel oil to where it gets burned. When we replace the appliance with something that runs on electricity, we also have to upgrade the electrical supply lines so we can deliver an equivalent amount of power. So that means bigger wires? Bigger wires, bigger hardware, bigger protective devices. 
anything that's between the grid and the point of use will have to be big enough to handle the flow. And there are three different places that can become dangerous bottlenecks if they aren't sized properly for the amount of current coming through. Okay, before I did the wiring in my van, I thought every outlet was more or less the same, that as long as it was connected to a power source, you could get what you need from it. I guess because electrical flow is invisible and silent, it just seems like magic. Yeah, it does seem that way. But electrical current actually has similar physical properties to anything else that flows. The most useful analogy here is water. If you tried to deliver the water supply for a whole city through a garden hose, forcing all that volume and pressure through a little tube, it would blow up. Or in the case of wiring and electricity, it would burn up. Okay, let's avoid that. You said there were three spots that could cause trouble. What's first? The first one is where the electricity enters your house, known as the service panel. This is where your electric meter is located, usually on the side or back of your house. Service panels come in different sizes, mostly depending on when the house was built. Most homes built after 1980 will have a 200 amp service. Houses from the 60s or 70s might have a 100 amp service, and homes older than that will probably have a 60 amp service. And how many do you need for an all-electric home? A small to medium all-electric home can often be done on a 100 amp service. But if you have high heating or cooling loads and you're planning for EV charging, it will be tight. And if you're planning to add a solar array as well, you're probably going to need 200. 300 or 400 amps is mostly for larger buildings and shouldn't be needed for a single home. Okay, so I have no idea what size my electrical service is. How do I find out and what do I do if it's not big enough? You can go to your main service and open the door that's usually to one side of the meter. Inside you'll find some circuit breakers and the biggest one will be the main shutoff. There should be a number on it that matches the size of your service. And if the number is less than 200? You may need a service upgrade to go all electric. That sounds expensive. Well, it's definitely not a do-it-yourself project. It involves a licensed electrician coordinating with the power company and being disconnected for a day. The meter base will be upgraded and the wire between there and the main panel will be upsized for the higher loads. How much will that cost? Probably around a couple thousand dollars. But there is money in the Inflation Reduction Act for it, so this is a good time to do it. Okay, so that's the first potential bottleneck. What's next? From the outdoor surface, the power for the house will go inside to the main electrical panel, also known as the circuit breaker box or the load center. This is where you go to reset a circuit breaker after someone plugs in an oversized space heater and puts your lights out. This will also have a main circuit breaker that controls the total current coming through it. And the number on that should match the number on the main circuit breaker outside. If your main service outside needs to be upgraded, your panel will too. Okay, say you've got 200 amps coming in through the meter, and your electrical panel also says 200 amps and has modern breakers. Are you good for home electrification? Maybe, but there's still one potential obstacle. From the main panel, the power is going to branch off to all the individual circuits in the house. But each circuit needs a place to branch off from, and the panel has a limited number of those spaces. Every 120-volt circuit will need one space. 240-volt circuits need two spaces, and most of the new stuff we're installing requires 240 volts. 
And those have to be dedicated circuits, meaning that circuit can't be shared with anything else. So the kitchen range, the dryer, water heater, et cetera, will all need two spaces. How many are there? In our house, we have 20 spaces in the main panel, which was pretty standard when our house was built. In newer houses with a 200 amp service, you'll see anywhere from 20 to 60 spaces. Okay, so you only have 20. And it seems like every time you convert something to run on electricity, you need two more. At least two. When we get into electrifying the HVAC system, it's really going to start adding up. Not to mention charging an EV or two, which a lot of people will soon be doing. So you'll never be able to fit it all. I mean, you're already using some of those 20 spaces for lights and computers and everything else, right? Right. We were using 15 of those spaces before we started this process. So did you have to upgrade to a panel with more spaces? No, there are some code approved workarounds that you can discuss with your electrician to see if upgrading the whole panel is really necessary. Sometimes two circuits can be combined into one space by using a double pole breaker. So you may be able to create some space that way. Or you might be able to use available spaces on your outdoor service to power something like a heat pump, which is going to be outside anyway. We have a sub panel in the garage with enough space to handle car charging, which is something other people may find too. And there are new technologies emerging that might help you fit things without the expense of an upgrade, like the new smart circuits that enable load sharing by doing things like interrupting EV charging when the dryer kicks on. You can explore these possibilities with an electrician, but don't try to skimp. Make a plan that will provide enough capacity for everything you want to electrify, even if you're not doing it all right away. It will be cheaper to do the electrical upgrades all at once. Okay, so you were able to avoid upgrading the panel. Yes. Our old range was already using two spaces because it had an electric oven. So the new circuit just used those. I used a tandem pole breaker to combine two circuits, which gave us six spaces to work with. And that was enough for the HVAC system and the hot water. So everything fit. And since the panel is now full, maybe that will keep us from getting weak and buying a heat pump dryer with money from the Inflation Reduction Act. What about people who do need to upgrade the panel? Uh, like the service, the upgrade will probably be in the $2,000 range. And like the service, you should be able to get help with that from the Inflation Reduction Act. How much help? We're going to do a future episode on the finances, but for people trying to sort through those incentives right now, the best resource is going to be found at Rewiring America. They have a calculator on their website that can give you an answer that's specific to how the incentives will apply to you. Can people work on the panel themselves? I wouldn't rule it out, but I'd probably caution against it. Whether it's even allowed is going to be determined by your local code authorities. But in our area, a homeowner can legally pull an electrical permit and do this work themselves. Apart from the owner, a licensed electrician is the only choice. Savvy do-it-yourselfers have certainly done their own panel upgrades, but if you have to ask yourself whether you're one of those, you probably aren't. Electricity is dangerous, especially with the higher voltage circuits or when you're working on the main panel. Besides, you won't get reimbursed for your own labor, but you can get money from the Inflation Reduction Act to hire an electrician. So maybe put your efforts where they will actually save you money. Okay, that's the panel. I'm guessing individual circuits are going to be the last of our three potential bottlenecks. 
yes, you can pretty much count on having to upgrade or add individual circuits when you replace fossil fuel burning appliances. As I mentioned, the new appliances are going to need dedicated 240 volt circuits. There might be occasional instances where that circuit is already in place, like maybe you're replacing an electric water heater with a new electric heat pump water heater. But if you're replacing fossil fuels, that circuit won't be there because there would have been no reason for the old appliance to get that much electricity. So you'll need a new circuit breaker and new wires all the way from the panel to where the appliance is going to be? Yep, and a new 240 volt outlet at the end of it. Which can't be easy in a retrofit, right? It depends on the house, but occasionally you'll get lucky and have an easy route between the two. Maybe the panel is in an unfinished basement and you can just weave a wire through the exposed framing and poke it up in the right spot to install your new 240 volt outlet behind the stove. What if you're not lucky? Uh, sometimes an electrician can find a way to fish the wire behind a wall or a ceiling, but it's not the end of the world if they can't. Even if you have to cut out some drywall to run the wire, it's usually not that hard to patch and paint. An extra expense, but not a killer. So you were lucky with the range? Mostly, yeah. The old range was a dual fuel unit, meaning it had a gas cooktop and an electric oven. So there was already a 240 volt circuit running to it to power the oven. Unfortunately, it was only a 20 amp circuit. The new range needed 50. Couldn't you just put a bigger circuit breaker on it? No. Remember that everything has to be sized for the current flow. And a 20 amp circuit is going to have a smaller wire than what a 50 amp circuit needs. Putting a bigger breaker on a circuit with a wire that's too small is the opposite of safety. That bigger circuit breaker isn't going to trip until long after an overheated wire has started a fire. Got it. Bad idea. But it was still a relatively easy setup for an upgrade. The old wire, which was in conduit for the trickiest part of the run, made an easy way to pull the new wire through the conduit. Then it was just a matter of swapping out the circuit breaker and the outlet. Okay, this may be a dumb question, but what if you did just plug this kind of stuff, an electrical dryer or range, into one of your old outlets? Actually, that's not such a dumb question, because things like that have actually been tried. And it's important everyone know why it's a bad idea. In the best case scenario, trying something like that just wouldn't work. The plug wouldn't fit, the appliance wouldn't turn on, or the circuit breaker would trip immediately. And if some clever but reckless amateur electrician worked around all of those obstacles, you'd have an excellent chance of ruining the appliance and also burning down the house. Okay, another bad idea. My other question is about cost. You said people might be lucky and have a big enough service and main panel, but it sounds like everyone will need to add or upgrade at least one branch circuit to go electric. The cost of individual circuits is going to be the most variable because it depends so much on the layout of your home. But you'll probably spend several hundred dollars to upgrade or install each circuit. Okay, this is starting to add up. And some people won't get as much of that free government money as others. Yeah, it seems expensive when people hear that they have to spend three or $4,000 on something they've been taking for granted. If you just want to install your new heat pump dryer that you paid $1,000 for, it's kind of a bummer to learn you need a service upgrade for $1,500, a new panel for another $1,500, and a new circuit for $500 before you can even plug it in. 
But that's really because you went into it not realizing that your house was outdated. When the furnace is getting old, most homeowners start preparing for the cost of replacement. But we don't have that mindset when it comes to an undersized electrical service. You sound like a salesman trying to convince me that something expensive is not actually expensive. Okay, yes, that's what I'm doing. It is kind of expensive, but it's also true that this work should be considered a necessary upgrade as we move into a clean energy economy. A 60 amp service is now as outdated as a coal burning furnace. And even folks with higher incomes can get a tax credit for these improvements. So now is the time to do it and get help with the cost. I haven't sorted out all the financial strategies that might work yet, but it looks like you can do pretty well when you're upgrading your electrical system as part of a full home retrofit. Since you were too early to get money from the Inflation Reduction Act for this, and since you're so cheap, I'm guessing you did not practice what you're preaching about hiring an electrician. Uh, yeah, that's true. But our service and panel were adequate, so I only had to deal with individual circuits, and those are within my comfort zone. I ran everything by an electrician friend and was very careful. If we had needed a service upgrade, I would definitely have hired that out. If we had needed a panel upgrade and could have gotten money to help pay for it, I probably would have hired that out too. How long did this take to do? For the range, it only took about half a day to upgrade the circuit. After that, it was as simple as buying the new range and plugging it in. The only thing left after that was the fun part, taking out the old gas line. Your first victory over fossil fuels. Yep, here I am sounding pretty pleased by that. And how's the new range working out? It's actually great. We bought an induction stove. You don't have to buy an induction stove. Uh, the old style electric cooktops are fine too. Um, we bought the cheapest one on the market and it's great. The things we liked about cooking with gas, quick response, lots of heat, fine control, all of those are even better with induction. And because we have an air quality monitor, I can verify that the indoor air quality really did improve when we quit burning gas in the house. So going electric is really better? For a kitchen range, definitely. They'll have to pry it from my cold, dead fingers. <laughs> oh, great. Now we have reactionaries on both sides of this issue. What's the next project? For a lot of people, it will be getting rid of a gas dryer. As we've already discussed, there's a lot more heat energy in fossil fuels like methane gas than there is in electricity. So in places where gas is available, these dryers have been the first choice because they were so much cheaper to run. But like all the other fossil fuel burning stuff, it's time for them to go. What about just not having a dryer? Yeah, for anyone who can make it work, air drying your clothes is the cheapest, most planet-friendly way to go. Yeah, let's just get rid of dryers completely. I'll leave that fight to you. I'm afraid not enough people will do it that way, and it plays into the idea that solving climate change means inconvenience and suffering. But if that's the only way to have a decent future, then we really have to do it. If it were the only way, I'd be on your side here. But there really are solutions that can replace fossil fuels without asking people to sacrifice. And some of the solutions are actually better than what they're going to replace. It's the reason I'm hopeful this transition can actually happen, because the clean options are getting cheaper and better than the dirty ones. So you're not going to go eco-fascist with me? No. And who are you kidding anyway? 
you're really not an eco-fascist kind of person. I suspect you're just pushing this line because you think talking about drier options is going to be boring. I'm actually positive that talking about drier options is going to be boring. It's like you're trying to make sure that no one under 30 will ever listen to this podcast. Even if we're doing it to fix climate change? Young people care about that, right? Of course. We're the ones who have to live with the consequences. I just hadn't planned on appliance shopping being involved. I don't think Greta Thunberg spends much time thinking about which dryer people should get. I'm sure that's true. The visionaries get to have all the fun. The rest of us are stuck sorting out the details. So maybe we should get it over with? Fine. Tell me about dryers that don't use fossil fuels. I'm so glad you're interested. There are three options for electric dryers. Old-style electric resistance dryers that vent the exhaust air outside, condensing dryers that don't vent to the outside, and heat pump dryers, which also condense the moisture and don't need vents. Since heat pump dryers are 30 to 50% more energy efficient, and since there are rebates for them in the Inflation Reduction Act, most people are going to choose those. And they work the same? They're a bit slower to get the clothes dry, but people actually say the clothes come out smoother and last longer. When my mom was living in the little house next door, she said the heat pump dryer gave superior results, and she is a certified laundry authority. Plus, sealing up a penetration from an old dryer vent can stop some energy locks. Okay, that was actually pretty easy. Just buy a new dryer with that free government money and you can eliminate some fossil fuel use. Well, of course, there's the electrical supply. All the same considerations we just talked about with the range. Is there really no alternative to adding circuits and capacity every time you switch something from fossil fuels to electricity? In most cases, there's really not. There are people developing appliances that will incorporate battery storage so they can operate with smaller supply lines. Since a range is only in use for an hour or so a day, it could trickle a charge into a battery from a 120 volt circuit all day, and then it'll have plenty of juice to cook dinner without having to draw any more. Don't all these high-tech solutions make everything overly complicated? If you multiply all these batteries and load sharing by millions of homes, can the power companies track all that? It seems like electrons are going to be flowing in several directions all the time. It's actually great for the utilities. One of their biggest challenges has always been spikes in demand, like when everyone comes home from work and cranks up their air conditioning and their stoves and their dryers and televisions at the same time. Smoothing that out with batteries and load shifting is a huge efficiency boost for them. Currently, they have to build entire power plants that only run for the few hours a month when demand is high. Once battery storage and load shifting are integrated, the grid is going to be a lot more efficient. So everybody wins? Everybody wins. It really should be the theme of this whole transition. Most people are still stuck on the idea that fixing climate change involves major sacrifices. But the solutions that are emerging really make it look possible for everyone to win. Consumers, utilities, the economy as a whole, everyone. Even the oil companies? When have they ever lost? I'm sure they'll find a way to win in the end, even if they have to make clean energy to do it. I'd kind of like to see them lose. Yeah, they deserve to. Unfortunately, they've got enough proven reserves in the ground to burn up the whole planet. They can pretty much hold us hostage. What do we do about that? 
I suspect in the end we'll end up paying their ransom. Big government buyouts to leave the stuff in the ground. I'm going to have some trouble getting used to that idea. Because you were looking forward to drinking their bitter tears? Ha <laughs> maybe a little. Well, look at it this way. The faster we electrify and produce clean energy, the less valuable their reserves are. So you can do a good thing for the world and take back a bit from the oil companies at the same time. Nice. I like my forward-thinking optimism mixed with a little bit of vengeance. That's what we're serving. Come back for more of it next time on Breaking the Carbon Bond, when we take on the toughest part of the home energy transition, cold climate heating. Breaking the Carbon Bond is written and produced by volunteers with in-kind support from Climate Smart Missoula, the little nonprofit that punches above its weight. Useful links and further information about the clean energy transition can be found at missoulaclimate.org. We are always ad-free, but if your other podcasts have so conditioned you to having your attention monetized that you just can't live without it, you can relieve that urge via the donate button on that website which again is missoulaclimate.org. The views expressed here are those of the participants alone and should be taken as opinions, not as advice or instructions. And be aware that home remodeling can be dangerous and podcasts, how-to videos, and the like are no substitute for professional guidance, good safety practices, and sound judgment. <laughs>